Well, friends, if we haven't met, my name's Adam. It's my joy to be a senior pastor here. And I'm just beside myself uh, that it's Easter Sunday. We're all here together, indoors. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something I don't, I don't think I'll ever not take uh, or I'll ever quit uh, just loving and not taking for granted. I wonder, have you ever heard the phrase or somebody ever said to you, this or that person is cheating death. They're cheating death. That's defined as to succeed in staying alive in an extremely dangerous situation. Maybe you've had an experience where you cheated death, uh, uh, an accident you, you barely avoided on the interstate, or maybe something could have gone wrong while you were hunting, or I don't know what, what that might look like for you. Uh, but it's this, we say this when somebody miraculously walks away from what could have been a disaster and they're relatively unscathed, that they're cheating death. And there's some people who actually make a living out of this. I want to introduce you to Lillian LaFrance. She's one of the pioneers in dangerous stunt work. And, and she did all this on motorcycles. So in the 1920s, she was born in Kansas and went on to become one of the most famous motorcycle stunt artists in the world. Now, back before we had almost limitless options for entertainment in the early 20th century, there were like these traveling shows that went around and these stunt artists would ride around on what was called a motordrome, a motordrome. And there were these structures circular structures and they would ride their motorcycles almost defying gravity kind of like on the side of this motordrome and apparently they did so with the lion in the sidecar <laughs> because I guess it wasn't dangerous enough without a giant lion next to you. Uh, life was wild in the 30s I guess and this is what this is what Lillian LaFrance said. It was the thrill of risking my life that made me take to drone riding. So you can see her there in her skull and crossbones gear. You know, a lot of times she had those aviator goggles on, her riding boots, and she became known and famous as being referred to as the girl who flirts with death. And that's a pretty good nickname, the girl who flirts with death. Lillian LaFrance took risks, she thrilled the public, but still, eventually, after a long life of cheating death, she still lost the game. She died not by motorcycle accident or lion, but by expiring just like we all will. Now, this may be a little more discussion about death than you thought might happen on Easter. But friends, what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that Jesus didn't cheat death. He defeated it. And there's a big difference. In scripture, we see another person who cheated death, not with a motorcycle, but with a miracle. Lazarus was one of Jesus' very best friends. He was very close with the entire family. They supported him in his ministry. And in John 11, we see that Lazarus has become sick and has died. And Jesus is on his way to see Lazarus' family, including his friend, uh, Martha, who was Lazarus' sister. This is what we read in John 11. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, Lazarus' sister, answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then soon after, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Jesus displayed 
his, his miraculous power when he called Lazarus out of the grave. And this was like mummy style. He had bandages and all, you know, coming up out of the grave, blinking in the sunlight. Now you could say that Lazarus cheated death, but again, he didn't cheat death forever because Lazarus would eventually die again. When Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection, he was describing something different, something more, not just cheating death, but defeating it. He told his disciples this in Mark chapter eight. Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and after three days rise again. So it's, it's vital that all three parts of that equation were all true, that Jesus was rejected and suffered, was killed, and then rose. See, if we're missing that third one, if he was rejected and suffered and died, that's a tragedy, but you wouldn't call that a victory. We would say that an innocent man was executed and that that's a tragedy. The cross is a sign of Jesus' death is a powerful symbol of love and sacrifice. It's one of the most recognized symbols in the world. But here's my hot take. Here's what I think might be controversial. That the ultimate sign of the Christian faith is not the cross, it's the empty tomb. Now, can you imagine maybe having a little, maybe a little stone and a little cave hanging around your neck? I mean, it's I'm not sure it's quite as catchy. Maybe it's harder to draw or harder to fashion. But the ultimate sign of Christianity is the empty tomb. That's what we celebrate today. We read this in John 20. Early on the first day of the week, that's why we worship on Sundays, by the way. The traditional day of worship for the Jews was Saturday. And we're here on Sunday because of Easter, because of this day. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the empty tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So in the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion, it was the women who were brave and, and ventured down to the tomb first while the men scattered. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You can tell who wrote the book because they described themselves as the disciple Jesus loved and the one who won the race. <laughs> I guess those are the perks to writing this stuff. And now people will know it forever. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Then we get this parenthetical kind of phrase that, that helps fill us in. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. See, Jesus' death on the cross was sacrificial, but it's only a victory if the tomb was empty. And the Bible puts this very plainly. This is from 1 Corinthians 15, that everything hinges on the resurrection, on the tomb being empty. Because if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, our Easter services are a waste of your time. Very plainly, if Christ has not been resurrected, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Well, I mean, it's right there. It's just very plain. Straight talk. If what we're here to celebrate, the empty tomb, isn't true, then we should just all go on and get on to the honey-baked ham or whatever's next. I discovered my more controversial statement than saying the cross isn't the sign of Christianity. In the earlier services, I made the mistake of saying that deviled eggs are gross. <laughs> and I don't understand you if you like them. I had, had some strong words afterwards. <laughs> Landmine, I got that noted. Uh, so if what we're, I mean, scripture lays it out very plainly. And it says, if, if the resurrection isn't true, then we believe a lie and people should feel bad for us. But if it is true, then it changes everything. Because that's not all that 1 Corinthians 15 says. Verse 20, but if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep... So when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was resuscitation. And there's a difference between resuscitation and resurrection. When Lazarus was raised, his mortal body, just like ours, was revived. It was resuscitated. But he would still die again later. It was still a mortal body. When Jesus was raised, it was something more. His body was immortal and it would never again taste death. Jesus' resurrection was like a sneak preview we read the word in the scripture, first fruits. I'm not sure that's a, a phrase we use often. It's like the very first part of a harvest crop. It's like the first blade of grass that pokes through the dirt with many more to follow. That's what Jesus' resurrection is, is like for us, the first fruits, the, the sneak preview of what's to come. Jesus' resurrection was confirmation of his victory that he didn't just cheat death only to die again. He defeated it. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Again, I think that's kind of an, a phrase we might not use all the time. To put something under your feet. There's a quote that Jesus uses that's similar to this. The, the phrase we read earlier was from Psalm 8. And Jesus quotes another psalm when he describes the coming Savior Sit at my right hand, he was talking about himself, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And the ultimate enemy, of course, is death. In this image of being a footstool under Jesus' feet, what, what came to my mind was a scene from the HBO series Succession. It's about this corporate family and what's going to happen next. And Tom, uh, one of the corporate bigwigs, is making one of his underlings a footstool for him. Now, as you can see, this is a demeaning thing to do to somebody. It shows that, that you're superior and that this person or this thing is beneath you. And so the image here is that that's what Jesus has done to death. It's beneath him. It's defeated. And when it comes to the power of death, Jesus is kicked back with his feet up. By dying and rising, by rising forever, Jesus didn't cheat death. He defeated it once and for all. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. 
Death has been swallowed up in victory. Friends, this is what we stake our whole faith on. The past two years have been filled with disease and death. I mean, I was in here last night just kind of getting prepped. And I won't point them out because if you're sitting there, you, I don't want to make you feel weird. But I, I can close my, I can, I can look around and see the people that we've lost in a variety of, of manners and where they used to sit. I know that we have folks, uh, almost everyone I imagine, has some chair around the Easter table that's gonna be empty today. And so Easter doesn't mess around because this is what it all hinges on. Jesus said, those who believe in me will never die. Do you believe this? If, you, if, if that's not true, then we should, we should lease out this building and do something else. Because this is what it all hinges on. This is the good news, friends. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Great. So what now? What, like, all right, I believe. Yes. What comes next? See, they don't always talk about that at church camp, do they? When we base our, our faith on making a decision, when we treat that like the finish line instead of the starting line, we miss part of the point. Because like, are we supposed to wait around until we die or, or what? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus came to show us what true life really is. A life that begins now and goes on into eternity. In John 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I want to introduce you to Tiffany. She's a friend of mine and a part of our church. Starting in 2012, she began to experience exhaustion, extreme exhaustion. It turned out that her heart was under-functioning in major ways, but the cause was unknown. Now, this is a tough scenario for anybody of any age to deal with, but particularly from somebody who was still young and, and a spouse and a mother of three and a nurse, a lot to deal with. A pacemaker gets put in to combat her heart failure. Later, she's diagnosed with a condition called cardiac sarcoidosis. And the struggle just continues with exhaustion and the side effects of the medication she's on just starts to pile up. Basic things have become an immense challenge. Now, Tiffany has an amazing family and network of friends who supported her, including being prayed over at our church after, after worship one Sunday. Tiffany's condition deteriorated to the point where she got on the heart transplant list. And they, they thought, well, maybe in six months, we might hear something. She was officially placed on the transplant list on New Year's Eve of 2019. And four days later, she got a call out of nowhere. This was the only path to getting better. And a heart transplant is a major operation. And I am so glad that Tiffany has graciously uh, allowed us to share her story today in pictures like this. While her condition was very serious, Tiffany told me, I felt it was out of my control and all I could do was trust God. And this heart transplant was something that made Tiffany very thankful 
but as you can probably imagine, also very scared. Here's Tiffany with her family last Christmas. I would say that Tiffany is somebody who has cheated death. She made it through an extremely dangerous situation. Praise God. But what Tiffany discovered was that it's one thing to cheat death and another thing to really live life, to not cheat life by making the most of this gift that she has. Since then, since the transplant, she's been able to do normal things you and I might take for granted, things like carry a purse or walk up steps. She's seen her oldest son graduate college, her younger son graduate high school. She's seen her daughter begin to drive her own car, and that's enough to give anybody a heart condition. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't want it to revert. You know, Tiffany said this entire experience has taught her so much. She told me it, told, it taught her to trust God, to not worry about what she can't control. I love this, what she said, that you never know what a person is going through, and so we should never judge. She's learned to appreciate life and simply to do what you can. So Tiffany continues to work in healthcare. She manages nurses that bring life into the world. She's now passionate about raising awareness about organ donation. And having experienced the support of brothers and sisters in Christ, I have personally seen and witnessed Tiffany offer that same support to others in amazing ways. Friends, it's one thing to cheat death, but it's another to truly live. Tiffany gets this. Friends, don't cheat life and miss out on what Jesus died and rose to give you. You don't have to have a near experience with death to put your trust in Jesus and find life in his name. Because of the resurrection, we can receive the abundant life that Jesus offers us. One that begins now and stretches into eternity. Because of the resurrection, we can have hope that things that looked like they were left for dead can have new life. That our strained relationships don't have to be estranged forever. That a, that a diagnosis is something we don't have to face alone. That a bleak financial scenario doesn't have to be always that way. And we can have a totally new outlook on life when we rearrange our priorities and start living instead of selfishly, selflessly as we follow God's call to serve our neighbor every day. And because of the resurrection, we can have confidence that not even death is the end because Jesus said, they who believe in me will never die. Friends, death is swallowed up in victory. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the cosmic event of your resurrection. That Jesus is the first fruits of what's to come and that the destiny of all who believe in his name and find life in him will share in this resurrection. God, be near to those who feel that you are far away. Draw close to everyone who is mourning and still feels the sting of death. From our limited perspective, God, it still hurts. So help us to share your eternal perspective that you promised 
that Jesus would come back and take us to be where he is also. God, we thank you for the amazing gift of Jesus' life and his teachings of his sacrificial death and resurrection. God, help us feel the hope and the joy that are possible because of his work on our behalf. God, we praise you that death isn't just cheated, it's defeated. And everybody said, Friends, finally, 